I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the suitcase and the stride with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside, back for another edition of The Suitcase and the Scribe, Mike McKenna. We've got lots to get to today. Uh, we're going to hear from Ryan Miller. I'm so excited. Uh, Ryan Miller is going to join us later in the show. Can't wait to catch up with uh, one of the great goaltenders of his generation, any generation really. Uh, so that'll be fun. And we've got some serious stuff to talk about as it appears that's sort of a weekly thing. I, I do want to start with this. Uh, one of my favorite parts of the week, and it has been a hard week on, on many fronts, seeing pictures of you and finding out that you were, you stood in at the blues practice. And I, what's that like? What's that like to strap those pads on and, and get out there and, did it, did it make you think, well, wait a I, maybe I still got it. Uh, it was pretty fun, man. You know, <laughs> put my, you know, I know this is a podcast, but if you can see the visual aspect, I'm putting my backup towel on right now. Oh, nice. um, you know, it was totally last minute. I was actually at the arena uh, that the Blues practice at with my daughter because I was going to coach her 8U team in a tournament. And I get the text at 10, 15 in the morning saying, Hey, uh, can you practice at 11? <laughs> I haven't played goalie in a year and a half in a competitive setting for an NHL team. Like the last time I did this was in Vegas before COVID when I would occasionally practice with the Golden Knights. Uh, whenever Marc-Andre Fleury needed a day off, I'd come out of the office and put my gear on and go down and play. And, you know, I, I missed it, Scott. Like I really miss playing goaltender. I don't miss playing. I would never want to play beer league ever. Right but I miss a competitive battle of having NHL quality players, having pro quality players on the ice and have some, having it mean something. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's a practice three days in advance of a game for the blues, but man, it's still the NHL. You're taking things seriously. And I look up and I get on the ice, I go through my stretching routine. And first I realize I'm not as flexible as I used to be, <laughs> but then I see that the nets are being placed at the blue lights. And I went, Oh no, this is not happening. This cannot be the first drill. Sure enough, two on two in the neutral zone with the Nets at the blue lines. Here we go. First shot, Robert Thomas short side. Bang, goal. <laughs> Second shot, Perron to Neil. Back to Perron. I go laterally. I make the save. And I think, man, I can still do this. <laughs> and it was kind of a mixed bag from there. But um, it was super cool. And, and I was really thankful to the Blues for giving me that chance. Like, I, I would love to do a lot more of that if possible. Um, you know, it takes strange circumstances for it to happen, but, um, 
I just, it's a, it's a huge part of my life, Scott, and it still is. And it's something that, I mean, I smiled for a day and a half after it, you know, it just, it brought me a lot of joy. And my daughter got to come over after her game. My, her team who was playing was at the same time as a practice. So I had to relinquish my head coaching duties to my, my, to my assistant coach, Jim Durbin, who took over and I got the permission of the kids. And when they finished their game that my daughter, Kedlin scored in, they came over to watch the practice, to watch their coach play goalie with their hometown favorite team. And so that was really cool. Yeah. I got to, you know, got to see my kid through the glass again. I hadn't done that in two and a half years. And um, that was a really long story, Scott, but you know what? It, uh, it's just, you know what? I'm sitting honestly, here smiling. <laughs> honestly, like, to, and it's, and you know, it's, it sets up, you know, I'm, we're going to talk a, a little bit about the Chicago situation and the continuing fallout from the uh, sexual assault scandal that continues to plague the Blackhawks and the NHL as a whole. And, and uh, certainly a week ago, you and I were talking about, you know, Kyle Beach coming out as John Doe, uh, putting a, a name and a personality and human face to, uh, to the, I maybe the worst scandal to rock the NHL ever in 104 years. But uh, so that was a week ago. You know, since then, I mean, there's there, and as it should be, there are going to be. This isn't going away, and there are a lot of people who still have to answer, and there are still a lot of questions about what you know. How do we move forward from this as a game, and certainly how does the league and the Blackhawks? How do they move forward? Um, and and one of the the main. Uh, I think sort of moments of this past week, there were a couple, and I know you're going to, I'm curious to see what you have to think about the NHLPA, uh, but certainly um, Gary Bettman and Bill Daly, the commissioner and deputy commissioner of the NHL um, going, uh, having a zoom media call lasted the better part of an hour. Um, and I, and, you know, I, I'm not cynical, honestly, I'm not a cynical guy. I really, you know, I really am glass half, half full. And I, I was really, I was looking forward to the event because I thought maybe there would be some clarity. And I thought maybe there would be some, some real things that we could take away from what Bill and Gary had to say about the handling and the response by the NHL to um, the report that laid bare what had happened to Kyle Beach more than a decade ago. And, and, and at the end of it, I, I honestly, I was just so, I, I was a bit crushed by it. And, and I don't think I'm alone in that. And I wonder what, and, I, and you mentioned your daughter, because to me, this is, you know, it's not just about the NHL, right? This is the game of hockey we're talking about. And what, what, what do we expect from the game at the highest levels? And do we want our families involved and our kids? And, and I wonder what you took away from that. I just, I felt there was so much wanting and so much, so many missed opportunities. And I've talked to some people around the NHL who are in a, in a significant position and they, they feel likewise. It, the, it's almost mind-boggling how the NHL managed to, you know, not sort of rise to the occasion this week. And it reflects, I think, the fact that they failed to rise to the occasion for more than a decade on this. It just missed the human side. Yeah. You know, it's just been approached in such a clinical manner and such lawyer speak of, you know, making sure basically Gary Bettman and company don't want to put the league in a vulnerable position with something they may say, because maybe it comes back to legally haunt you afterwards. Well, mm-hmm. I don't know how much more legally or publicly you can be hurt by this. The fact that you had a player who was sexually assaulted by his coach yeah. 
and it was covered up by an NHL team. I, 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 how can it get worse? It can't get worse. Like in this scenario, just step up and be a human. Yeah. You know, when, when there was a question posed, I believe by Rick Westhead, who's been uh, integral into this investigation and, and really been a driving force, who, by the way, wasn't called on for a very long time, which was incredibly disappointing. Anytime, I don't understand how anybody in media thinks that that's a good idea to yeah. silence a question for someone because it's going to get out in today's world. <laughs> that's not the right play. This isn't 1997 where you can just shoo somebody away and it's not heard about. But regardless of that, you know, the questions posed like, would you provide support to the teenager in Michigan that was harmed after the fact by Brad Aldridge after he had already sexually assaulted Kyle Beach, after there'd been incidents at other places, and he was able to become hired in Michigan? And to hear Gary Bettman lawyer speak and say, well, we need more facts, circumstances, context. And I'm just sitting here thinking like, dude, for once, just be a human and say, yeah, we will do everything we possibly can to help. This was a mistake. Things weren't handled properly, and we're going to do everything we can. That would have been all you needed right there, like empathy. There's empathy missing in all this in a human side. And I feel like that's, again, just the legal protection aspect. And, I, man, the lawsuits are flying already. Like, you're not going to stop those. Uh, and I, I just, it was missing, you know? And I think the responses to questions about the Coyotes and them losing draft picks and the New Jersey Devils losing uh, being fined $3 million and losing draft picks over the Ilya Kovalchuk con- contract and those being competitive advantage types of things that were punished more heavily than yeah. a sexual assault. And what world are we living in if that's the case? Yeah. You know, and, and my, my whole thing with this, Scott, is like, I don't feel like there's a deterrent here. Like, okay, here's, okay, two million bucks. Shame on you guys. Like, how about five first round draft picks? Yeah. Do you think teams are going to have their attention if you know you're going to lose your next five first round draft picks? Because honestly, man, that's what man, you can tell because of the way this was handled. You can tell that there's still a pervasive mindset that hockey comes first and that's wrong. And that's got to change. And these rules have to have teeth and they have to have consequences. Yeah. So just, and we're, we're going to talk some real hockey here. And I, we are. And I, and <laughs> it's always, you know, to, to me, these are important. They're so important. These are important topics and it's important to find the balance of, okay, you know, let's make sure that we are paying the appropriate attention to this and, and, and not, and not going down the rabbit hole on it in terms of, of what you and I are doing here. But I, so I do think it, it's critically important. And I talked to somebody who said, you know, again, you, it's about the messaging. And do you think, do you think that this is a point in the game? And do you think the confidence in Gary Bettman, the leadership of the NHL, the game itself, the brand of the NHL, which has always been so much of what Gary has been about in, in his long, long tenure as, as NHL commissioner in the brand almost at all costs it, like is this a watershed moment here we see a change at the top at some point do you think this um accelerates maybe you know gary bettman's plans to stay on you know as commissioner do you think there's a at the ownership level of course are the ultimate arbiters in 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 the role of commissioner at the top do you think this changes how they view gary bettman and 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 maybe what what we see moving forward I don't think it does in this aspect that I don't think they're going to fire Gary Bettman. If that's what we're asking, right. I, I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah. And I don't um, think it's, yeah, I, I totally agree. And that's, I don't even know if that's, I don't, I'm not, I don't think that's the right thing, but. No, but I, th- I think what you're looking at here and like, take the word, take what Mark Chipman said 
in his press conference when he when he was up there with, with Kevin Chevaldeoff, who was part of this debacle in Chicago. Yeah. Um, and and by the way, credit to them for getting in front of this and doing it the right way when they should have not in, not in front. They I don't think that this happened in a timely enough manner, but I think that the way that they responded with their press conference and what Chevaldeoff said was very present to this. But I think Mark Chipman's words really that I am going to use my power yeah. to change how this affects the NHL. That's the first time anybody really laid bare what has to happen. Something's got to change. Yeah. So I, I do think that you're at a point now where owners are realizing like we got a problem here. And if this festers, if this happens again, we're really in one, like yeah. it can't keep happening because now everybody knows it's eyes wide open. So um, I, I do think that we are at a reckoning, if you would, a watershed moment. I think this is finally uh, something that's caught everybody's attention. It can't just be swept under as a, you know, for all intensive purposes, as bad as it was like Bill Peters using words to Akeem Alou is not seen in the scene in the same light as a sexual assault and a cover up. Okay. Right. Both terrible incidents, but this is one that just can't happen, you know? And I think that that's going forward should be a difference. And, and, you know, to, to look at the player side with the NHLPA, Scott, you know, Don fears saying, I don't remember this. I think if I'd have known, I would have done something. I didn't know the full details. And I, maybe I was told, I don't recall. And he's calling for a, an, an investigation of everything, an independent investigation. Yeah. And what are the players doing? The players are going, okay, that sounds good. We'll do the independent investigation. And man, I think there's a fundamental problem with the PA. Like they've got 32 people on exec board. Okay, like no, you have 32 player reps. You want to you want to get things done. You want to herd cats. You need five or six people, players that are elected by their peers to serve on a board to represent them. Right. And, and I have experience with that. We did that at the minor league level at the AHL at the PHPA and I understand it's a different scale, but I also know that we did not have 31 players that were willing to do anything to get it done. Yeah. You know, you need people that are invested, that know what's going on, that have a background in litigation and, and in negotiations. And you only get that through experience as a professional hockey player. You don't get that through classes in college. And, and I think that they're just going to do whatever the PA says. That's my gut instinct on this. And, and I think that they're relying too much on Don Fear. I think they need more leadership from within. I think they need somebody from within to grab the reins here and say, all right, guys, do we want them in or out? Because enough of this beating around the bush. If we're upset with this guy, like can him. There's other people that can do the job. And if you're not, just run with it. But this independent investigation, drag it out another six months, let Cody Beach go through everything all over again. Like, uh, why bother? Like, just somebody has some guts to stand up and make a decision here. I guess I I just don't, you know, and your your point about, you know, does this help Kyle Beach? Does it help the next person down the line? I I don't know. And because I'm not sure how the investigation you know, what else will they discover other than what Don Fear has already said happened? They screwed up. Yeah. The, the information came, you know, what, what was remembered, who, you know, who should have been alerted, who, who failed on that side of things. The failings are, seem to be quite obvious to me. And I think you're right. It's the whole NHLPA thing is an interesting thing. And I was talking to a veteran player not long ago. It just, it's, you know, I mean, the players are so young now you've got a new CBA you, you know, the, you know, the pressure points and to go to your point about, I think back leading up to the 0405 lockout. And I think about, you know, some of the, the veteran players and the, the prominent players who were front and center 
every day and trying to hammer out an agreement and stop what would ultimately become a lost season. Daniel Alfredson, uh, a lot of you know, peers of that um, you know, profile. I, I don't think you, I, 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 correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I'm not sure there's any kind of solidarity within that group. You know, every, players are at different points of their careers and so their concerns are different. And a lot of it is, well, how does this affect me and mm-hmm. my next contract? And what happens to me as I, you know, move forward? And you know, again, if you're a veteran player or a rookie and I, and I'm not, I'm not, this is not being ages and it's not being an old man shaking his fist at the cloud. But honestly, I think there's a lot because the league is so young now. I think there are a lot of players who, who do not either do not care outright or yeah. lack the wherewithal to know what to do to have their voice heard and to, to come forward and say, like, what are we doing here? And, yeah. and, and let's, let's not waste any more time about a, a, a situation that is as critical as this. I think it just, it leads to a whole lot of ambivalence, you know, like I think, it, and by the way, where are the superstars in all this? I just, I got to get that off my chest. You yeah. want to change the culture, the superstars need to step up, period. Okay. I, I, and I can't put that any other way that we haven't heard anything from the big dogs in the game. They're the ones that have the bully pulpit. They're the ones who don't even use their social media accounts because they don't want to deal with it and focus on hockey and just be robots and droids. And they have the opportunity to change things. So I, I know player, I know some of the players don't want to deal with it. I know it's just the way it is, yeah. but I think you need to, I think you have a bigger devotion to the sport of hockey to clean this up. And it's not happening amongst the superstars, yeah. but going back to your point about the players, like, I, I listen, I, I can remember being sitting at a meeting in Dallas in NHLPA meeting and everybody's just staring at Don fear talking to us. And I had questions and I started to ask and started to talk and like, okay, like I said, I was a minor league jobber man for the most part, but I felt like I was the only person in that room that cared or had any type of experience with these things with negotiations, with PA discussions. And I'd hardly spent much time in the league compared to a lot of people in that room. And that to me was endemic of what's happening. The only thing that matters is escrow to the players yeah. and the next CBA. Everything else gets lost and you just, you know, do whatever you're told by your PA boss. And he's not your boss. He works for you. Don fear works for you. Yeah. So I, I know I'm, I'm passionate about this, Scott, because I've seen the level of apathy and, and it is, it's tough when players are young because young players are impressionable. They listen to their parents. They listen to their agents yeah. You know, they don't make their own decisions. They don't have that experience level. Yeah. I, and it is, you know, and, and I, there are, like we've already seen Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane initial comments after Stan Bowman. Uh, they were terrible. It was they terrible. they couldn't have been worse. Like Patrick literally, Taze's comments Kane, couldn't have been worse. Patrick Kane tried to do a do-over after. At least I, I give him some credit for that. And I get it, you know, I, I would, and, and I agree entirely with what you're saying it would be great if there was a cavalcade of commentary from the game's best, most important players. But, you know, here's my hat off to Patrice Bergeron uh, in Boston, who I'm trying to fair, paraphrase it now, but I believe gathered the team so they could watch yes. Kyle Beach's interview. They with, all did together. With Correct. Rick Whole West. Team together. And, no, like, why isn't that, why didn't that happen on 32 teams? Why wasn't that happening in every locker room with every team, with every captain leading the way to say, wait a minute, we're, we're going to take a moment and we're going to do this together. And that it didn't happen that way speaks to what you're speaking to, but uh, like, thank goodness for Patrice Bergeron, who, yep. you know, uh, 
just thank goodness for guys like him. So. Yeah, Taylor Taylor Hall, Andrew Ladd, yeah. all have done a, a good job, the right thing with this from what I see. Yeah. I just, I, I'm sorry, man, but like how many of these things have to happen without anybody that's that's got some clout in the game saying something? Yeah. It just never happens. And everybody's afraid of being labeled an activist, you know? Yeah. I mean, look at... Look at the way Robin Leonard's viewed by people. Oh, he just wants attention. No, he's trying to change this game. And you're seeing the reasons why, because all this crap that's been swept under the rugs coming out that he's been talking about and people have sneered at it. Yeah. Again, (laughs) there's a guy team gets beat for nothing in Toronto. You know, things are not going great for Vegas, right? (laughs) Completely beat up. It's not a great situation there. Robin Leonard, you know, again, you know, thank you for understanding the big picture comes out and he talks to the reporters in Toronto after the game about some of the fallout, you know, the, the ongoing story of what, you know, what needs to be happened, what needs to be addressed in this league. And, you know, cause a lot, that's again, that's a, that's not an, it sh- it's the right thing yeah. and good for him for doing it. And, you know, after a difficult game. So, mm-hmm. all right, let's, let's, let's talk some hockey here, my Please. friends. Let's do it. Three stars of the week. I, I always like, and you and I talked about this before. It's great. I like the idea of the three stars of the, was it the week of the month, I guess. It's three stars mm-hmm. of the month. But maybe some guys that are a little bit under the radar, but maybe star worthy. Yeah. You know, the stars of the month, Ovechkin, guy's potting goals left and right. He's, he's climbing the list. He's going to break Gretzky's record. I mean, Connor McDavid, he had a great month. Really? Like, <laughs> that's fantastic. Ah. Like, great job, Connor. Like, you're the man. We all know it. We know that you are, you've been lucky enough to be selected to Team Canada, Connor, as you said last year in a press conference, which was the biggest eye roll I've, I've ever done, ever. Like, like, dude, it's, you're the best player on earth. It's okay to own that. You know what I mean? Um, but those two, you're, they're killing it. No surprise. And, and Freddie Anderson, now there's a surprise, Scott, to some people. I picked Freddie Anderson to have a bounce back season. I wasn't sure what the ceiling was. He's off to a great start, 7-0, and 0, uh, 956 save percentage. But it's also his underlying statistics that he is bringing it. This isn't smoke and mirrors. He has given the Carolina Hurricanes – the freedom to make plays and go up and down the ice and play with tempo and play hard because he's making saves. Yeah. And he looks like he's having fun. You yeah. know, he's out of that pressure cooker in Toronto. Uh, I love Freddie Anderson's game. I think he's rock solid technically. And when he's in a good mental place, uh, think things are really strong for him. And, you know, we, we do talk about the, the guys who don't get the, the recognition, the honorable mentions. Yes. And, you know, you had a couple, we, when we were spitballing this back and forth, you had a couple of great ones. Um, Tossing out David Perron. He just continues <laughs> to produce. Like <laughs> this guy is, he's unreal, man. Like he, and I skated with him the other day, huge smile, having fun, white skates, you know, like talk about unleashing a player. You bring him in the league at 18 years old and Andy Murray throws his white skates in the trash and says, you can't play with those. Like you want to give a young guy confidence. Thanks, Andy Murray. <laughs> like anyway, so like Perron's, he just keeps going. He can't stop. Um, but, but you also brought up Kyle Connor. Yeah. And this guy is so much fun to watch. Like his shootout move last night, just absolutely disgusting. (laughs) And I I think Kyle Connor really is maybe the most underappreciated goal scorer in the NHL. I I think, I mean, in the past five seasons, he's seventh in the league in goals. And he's sandwiched between Nathan McKinnon and John Tavares. 
And nobody knows about this guy outside of like Canada, maybe like he's been a 30 goal scorer. I think he scores 40 this year. Yeah. I'm going to make that prediction Like playing. He's been playing with Dubois. They've been a nice combination. Kyle Connor had 14 points in eight games in November. Yep. Seven goals. You know, Dubois got 11 points. Like this, this looks like a great play, a great move to pick up Dubois. Now took a while last year, yeah. uh, but Kyle Connor, just like, what a release. I was talking to a player today. It said, yeah, he, you know, he reminds me of Vladimir Tarasenko and how he shoots the puck really quick release off the blade quickly. Um, I agree. He's just so much fun to watch. Like, it's, it's so, and my, my, I defer to my son who watches a lot of hockey and, and we were, we co-manage a, a fantasy team and Pierre Lebrun's we've been in it for a long time. And trust me, I'm not the brains of the outfit, but I mean, <laughs> a comment last night because we were watching the game. He's at, he's away at college, but he's, he suggested that that Kyle Connor might be one of the fastest players in the NHL outside of Connor McDavid, the ability to do things at such a high speed, which is so hard to defend. And I assume as a goaltender, so hard to, to defend when he's shooting, but we saw it again last night in that game, Dallas lucky to get a point out of that, frankly, yeah. the way they played, but you know, that he, he can do so much at high speed. And you're right. I don't think people get, you know, when I hear people talking about the U S Olympic team, and it'd be interesting because when we talk to Ryan Miller later, he is of course a role uh, with uh, team USA headed to 2022 in Beijing. Um, but people don't really talk about Kyle Connor, but to me in that tournament against the big boys and whether it's Canada or Russia, I think Finland's going to be really good there. Kyle Connor, I think is going to play a significant role for team USA. And and I agree. I think he's one of those guys that people probably don't know outside of Winnipeg, really um, just how good he is. Under the radar, you know, and and I think there's, there's other players around the league that kind of fit that mold. Honorable mentions from this past week. And uh, one of the two defensemen for me, Kevin Shattenkirk in Anaheim. I mean, 11 points in 11 games, six on the power play. He had 15 points all last season. He's already almost at his point total from this year. I think a lot of that's just that team's re-energized. The young players, Troy Terry, Trevor Zegras, Isaac Lundstrom, they're starting to come along. And that's given Shattenkirk the confidence to do what he needs in the offensive zone, on the power play. He can jump into play, be active like we'd seen previously in St. Louis and with Tampa Bay and with Washington. Uh, But Tony D'Angelo, I mean, Scott, you cover the Carolina Hurricanes. This is a guy who was brought in this summer. And it was not a popular move. There was baggage. There's no other way to say it. Yeah, no, of course. But he's come in and the fans were chanting his name last week against the Blackhawks. <laughs> Tony, Tony, Tony. And Gordy Howe hat trick. Gordy Howe Hattie. <laughs> Is there anybody? And, and I mean, look at his stat totals. Okay, nine points in eight games. He's been fantastic on the power play. Million dollar cap hit. Okay, Carolina looks great in this deal so far, as long as it doesn't go sideways. Yeah. But is there a greater endorsement of Rod Brindamore than what's going on with Tony D'Angelo right now in Carolina? Yeah, well, and, and you're right. I mean, listen, the you know, we're a month in, so jury's still out. And I, I'm not sure, listen, maybe he would be, maybe he would have learned as he appears to have early on somewhere else. But I think you're right. Rod Brindamore is the kind of coach um, – you know, who I, I, I think, you know, the expectations would be very high for Tony D'Angelo there, just as they are for everyone in that room. And, and, and it's a team that has, if you look at some of the moves they've made, if there are players who don't fit that culture there, they will be moved on. That's, 
that's that's the importance that Rod Brindamore puts on culture there. Again, we're pretty early. But I think, you know, my limited dealings with Tony D'Angelo, smart kid. And if he doesn't understand that this is make or break for him, yeah. then then he's not very smart. Um, and it is it will be interesting to see. I, I love how that blue line has been constructed. You mentioned it. I, I provide content for the Carolina Hurricanes. So there you go. Um <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I like the, the blue line there with Ian Cole. Ethan Bear has been really good there. And I think he, you know, the sky's the limit for that young man. Tony D'Angelo, you know, no one replaces Dougie Hamilton because Dougie Hamilton's a special player. But at $9 million, he didn't make sense for that team. And I think the the, the way this, the team has been structured on the blue line, um, I, I think long term, I think they may be in a better spot. And be easy to say they're eight. No. <laughs> So yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah, I so, agree with you. I, uh, yeah. I, 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 did, I don't know. I had to go back and look. You didn't have Cole Caulfield as your uh, Calder Trophy pick at the start of the season, did you? Boy, I'm, I, I don't, don't know if you did. I can't even remember. But, man, that's not looking like the right pick, is it? But when you when he when you found out that he was uh, he was going to Laval in the American Hockey League, you, I mean, that, listen, I know they're coming off a win uh, uh, over Detroit um, as you and I are taping this, Mike. But it, it's been a it's, in fact they basically only beat Detroit the team yeah. they can beat. Um, it, do you a like Detroit that team that's missing Tyler Bertuzzi, their best player, because he, that's a whole that's a whole other yeah. story. I, I don't get that part. But Detroit anyway, has yet to win in Canada without their best player and Tyler Bertuzzi, who's unvaccinated and cannot travel to Canada and play. Anyway, yeah. anyway, carry on with Caulfield. No, uh, no, I in team when it comes to Tyler Bertuzzi. But anyway, uh, so I'm just curious. Do, do you like the move? Do you like like because I get sometimes sometimes people see that. Well, are you punishing Cole Caulfield because he's not any good? Well, no, he's a great talent, and and it truly is important. I think sometimes if you have a real finger on the pulse of where your player is going developmentally in terms of maturity, in terms of what's the best thing for him, sometimes it is better to be playing at the American Hockey League level for a period of time. But what do you make of all that? He's 20 years old, and he's hit a rough patch, and he needs to find confidence again. And you can see it in his game. You know, when when I watch his clips, I see a player that's not getting open in the offensive zone. That's been his bread and butter his whole career. He's been able to find soft spots on the ice, get open, get shots to the net. That's not happening regularly this year. And granted, the team hasn't been good. But Caulfield's not the type of player who can just make his own opportunities. He does need a wingman to get it going, and he needs defensemen that can get him the puck in motion. Caulfield hasn't had any rush. He's had one rush chance in 10 games. Okay, And if you watch last season in playoffs, especially when the Canadians moved deeper, when they beat the Golden Knights, turnovers they'd create, Caulfield, Suzuki, the other direction, it's in the back of the net to Foley. Like, that's how they generated a lot, and it's not happening this season. So I think part of it's Caulfield just losing the confidence and, and knowing where to be in the offensive zone, but also he's not getting the type of help he needed to really get his feet underneath him and feel that, that success to feel the puck on his stick, to really skate with it and feel like you're controlling the game. And at 20 years old, your head can spin so quickly sending him to the American hockey league is a chance to let him reset. You send, and you have to give him the right message when you do it. This is not a punishment. This is for you to go and dominate hockey games. Cole, go have fun, go get the puck on your stick, have touches, don't have pressure, just go play. And I think if you're the Montreal Canadiens, you're hoping, hey, we won a game again, finally. You know, Mike Hoffman's back in the lineup. 
He scored on the power play the other night. There's signs of life. It may not be consistent in Montreal, but it's going to get better. It has to get better. It can't get worse. Carey Price, by the way, we're hearing rumblings. He may be coming back soon. Yeah. So I think the timing of this makes all the sense of the world. You let, go, you let Cole Caulfield play for a week or two, maybe four or five games in the American League. You hope it goes well, um, which I would expect it would with his talent level. And then you bring him back and you see what happens. You know, It's not going to hurt anything. Again, and it just comes down to messaging. You have to make sure he understands why this is happening and it's for the best in his long-term development. Yeah. I'm curious. Did you, do you have anything, like, do you remember anybody that, you know, similar kind of situation, young player comes down to, you know, to, to a team you were playing on and, and where you could see, you know what, that really, that worked, right? Like it, that made sense for, you know, in that situation. Do, is there anything that comes to mind for you? Well, you know, I'm trying to think of it, of a direct send down and recall example. And off the top of my head, I can't, I can't think of one in the moment, but what I can really remember distinctly was the 12-13 lockout season. And you mentioned Ian Cole. He was on our team in Peoria. And we never saw him again after the lockout ended in January. He was gone. But another player that was a rookie on that team was Jaden Schwartz. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Jaden Schwartz did not start the year well in Peoria in the American Hockey League. It was not going great for him. And this was he was a highly touted prospect out of college. All the skill in the world. Fantastic guy. Like loved playing with him, but it took him the better part of two, a month, two months, really almost to Thanksgiving or so for it to click in pro hockey. And then we got to January and he started to go. It started, you could see that confidence building. And then when he went to training camp in St. Louis, that week long training camp (laughs) coming out of a lockout, another guy, we never saw him again. His game just ramped up. Yeah. And, and I don't think that Jaden Schwartz, if he hadn't had that American League experience to start a season, would have had that. Yeah, I really don't. I, I think he would have been in over his head at the NHL level because he probably would have started there, where this, given where St. Louis was at that time in their development path. It, he would have been rushed. He would have been ahead. So there's, there's, I'm sure if I went back through my list, I could do this. Um, but I think if even – you know, Dennis Garyanov in Dallas. Here's a guy who was a healthy scratch for us in the 2018 Calder Cup playoffs. Huge gut punch. Did he take it that way? No, he kept working. Yeah. Took it the right way. Great attitude. He was explained why this is happening, what he needs to work on. Look at him now. Solid player in the National Hockey League. So there's a huge benefit to the American League. There's a huge benefit to letting players develop on time and arrive with some momentum and with some confidence. Yeah. Good stuff. When's, when's it, when's it too early to, to worry or when does it, what does it, what's that all saying? It gets late early. Mm-hmm. We're in the second month. What, uh, when is, I know a lot of people point at uh, American Thanksgiving as sort of, okay, the line in the sand, if you're not, if you're not in it, then it's hard to get in it or, but this, I, my sense is the second month of the season, you, you, you want to see some positive trends, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I think, you know, we're about to lose daylight savings time here or gain it. I can't even remember how this works in the United States. It's the goofiest thing on earth. Fall back, fall back, spring forward. I mean, I've been, that's all I got for you. Yeah. I'm not, I'll tell you what meteorology would have been a fun career, but I didn't end up doing it. Um, I, I really do think that by the 15 game mark, you're thinking, man, we got to get it together. And by the 20 game mark, that's your cutoff. And that really is about American Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, you you look at recent trends, even the St. Louis Blues, when they won the Stanley Cup uh, in 2019, I believe that was, they were last in the league until Thanksgiving. 
And then it kind of carried into December and then they started to go on a tear by January. And that was unprecedented. That just never happened. And they had to almost run the table to even make playoffs and do that. So I think the watermark really is that 20 game threshold. And Scott, I think there's some teams that are, they got to get it going. I look at Boston, like man, Boston's, they haven't played as many games. They're a little over 500, but that's not an easy division in the Atlantic right now. I mean, we don't think Buffalo is going to stick around, but I mean, can, is, can Detroit make a push? Toronto's going to be there. Yeah. You know, I, I think Boston's got to get it going. Like they're just not clicking right now. You look also at Dallas, man, Dallas has been a target for us thinking this team's way too good to underperform. They have way too much skill. They're, they got eight points in nine games in a tough division where Colorado's trending up. Nashville's surprising people. Okay. Nashville's better than I expected. I didn't think they'd be where they are. Um, I think those teams to me are really on the bubble. 31st in the NHL in goals per game. Um, Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on that. Yeah, it it isn't what we're talking about necessarily. And maybe next week this it'll be, and, you know, we're having Ryan Miller on in a few minutes. But, you know, Buffalo, I don't know. Can they stick around? That'll be, maybe that's a topic for next week. You know, the team that I'm curious what you think of them and maybe everything was colored by Vegas. I, I thought Seattle would be, I thought they would be better. And that's a catch all. I, I just thought they would be more competitive on a nightly basis. And there's, there's a lot more ebb and flow to their game than I thought there might be. Um, you know, I know, you know, Yunus Donskoy doesn't, hasn't, hasn't got a goal yet. And I thought he was going to be one of those critical players there. Cali Yarncroft, he's missed some time. He's only played in five games, but those guys have zero goals between the two of them. And there's a lot more, there's a lot more, you know, pendulum swing in the, the crack game than I thought. Now, good thing for them is, in, you know, they're in the Pacific. So, They've they've got there's lots of emer you know there's lots of teams in state of flux there. But did you think what did you think we would see have seen more from the Kraken at this stage or are you are you more charitable than I? I was pessimistic on them. <laughs> I, I really thought that across the board everybody was looking at expansion with rose colored glasses because Vegas knocked the door down. Yeah. Uh, that's just my, my gut feeling was that everybody thought, wow, look at Vegas. Seattle's going to capture that lightning in a bottle the same way. And when I look at the roster, it's just, it's not there. I, and I thought that Vegas did such a good job in the expansion draft of leveraging it and getting quality players. And you know, Will Carlson, nobody could have expected that out of him. Yeah. But I mean, Jonathan Marsha, so Riley Smith, yeah, some of those guys that they brought in right off the bat weren't surprising if you'd ever played with them or watched them and know how they could carry the mail. And you just have to factor in the special dynamic of Vegas. I can't understate that enough how special that year was. And and melancholy, you know, I I, I can't stand referencing it nonstop, but it had so much to do with the mass shooting on October 1st that the whole city rallied around this team. Yeah. And I mean, Mark Andre Fleury playing absolutely inspired hockey out of his mind. Gerard Gallant rallying the troops. And, you know, I, I think that Gallant's has got a track record of that. He comes in, teams are going, he's doing it in New York right now the same way. Yeah. I don't know that Dave Haxtell has that same fire to him that Gerard Gallant does. And that's why it raised my eyebrows when Haxtell got the job. Cause I, I, I thought if you want to come in and win games right away, do you want a teacher or do you want somebody that's going to whip this team into shape and get them going and, and, and inspire them? 
And so I'm not placing this on, on Hackstall in any way. I'm just saying that was my gut. And I think that the talent just, it's not there across the board to carry this team. They have to have more than talent. They have to play impeccable systematic hockey and they have to be inspired. And when you lose that inspiration early in a season as an expansion team, it's easy to get complacent and just flow through the motions. And that's kind of what it looks like with them. It's going to be up and down as they go. A couple uh, interesting signings this week as we uh, get towards the, uh, uh, our visit with Ryan Miller in this episode of the suitcase and the scribe Um, and not really a surprise. I don't think on either case, Morgan Riley, eight years, $60 million total, uh, 27 years old. Uh, And the one that I was, I was curious to see how the Rangers would handle this along with Adam Fox and his group, but 23 years old, defending Norris uh, trophy champion, champion winner, uh, seven years, $9.5 million. Man, if you were an elite defenseman, Mike, you'd, you would be so rich in the NHL. <laughs> days. I, I, does any of that surprise you? And, and I'm curious if there's of those two that made news this week, whether you're like, you know, like this is, I'm more skeptical of this or I like them both. What, what do you make? I like the Fox deal better than the Riley deal. Yeah. I think the Adam Fox deal, this guy, him and Kale McCarr are going to win the Norris trophy for the next decade. Yeah. Just go back and forth. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm not kidding. Like Victor Hedman, man, that guy's sick but he can't do the things with the puck that these two guys can do. Yeah. Like, I don't see who challenges them. I mean, um, I think his deal at nine and a half mil is actually pretty good value. I, I think that um, you lock him in seven years at that rate is good for the Rangers. He could have been 10 plus. I mean, when you look at those comparables of Wierenski, McAvoy, Jones, yeah. they're not the defenseman Adam Fox is. And they can't move the puck like he can. They can't control the play. They're not plus 22 in every league that he's played in. They didn't go to Harvard and process. Like, like there's a lot going on here. This guy's processing at a high level. Okay. Um, I think it's a good deal for the Rangers. I really do. And I think part of it plays the fact that Adam Fox wanted to play for the Rangers. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you got to win, win here, man. Like this guy wants to be there. Give him the deal. Take the money. It's yours, dude. The Riley deal makes me nervous because there's trade protection. It's until he's 36 years old when it finishes. Uh, I I just feel like Kyle Dubas gave away too much uh, uh, power to the player in this deal. And at eight years, that's a long time for an older defenseman. And again, he's not even 30 and we're saying this, but the Riley deal makes me nervous. The Fox deal makes me comfortable. Yeah. And that's what it comes down to. Yeah, I'm interested in, I mean, you touch on it with the Adam Fox wanting to be in New York. He's always wanted to be a Ranger. So mm-hmm. it is. And at 23, oh my God, like he is a special, absolutely special player. And Morgan Riley's not that player, but in Toronto, it's a weird, as you know, it's a weird market. And sometimes it's, it's hard, you know, hard to get players to come there sometimes. I mean, John yeah. Tavares obviously made that choice. Oh. Ask Jake Gardner. Did he want to be there anymore? No chance. See yeah, you later. <laughs> exactly. And I, I, I and I, I don't know Morgan Riley. I, I don't have a relationship with him. So, uh, but from afar, it looks like he really wants to be there. And I think that's important with that team moving forward. And my sense is he's an I important agree. person in that room. Um, 
But man, a team that's already really top heavy <laughs> with right. contract and <clears throat> term and protection, I, I see your point entirely that you've just added another layer to that. You've taken another, you know, sort of element of flexibility away from Kyle Dubas. Maybe you never have to or want to use that flexibility, but it is what it is now. And, right. and now you're locked in. Yeah, I, I just it makes me nervous. I think it could end up being a good deal for the Leafs. I yeah. do think it could be but I don't think it's a slam dunk like Fox's. I think there is a little bit of hope on both sides. And, and your point about Riley is true. He wants to be there. Okay. This is a core piece to that team and that's admirable, but man, trade protection through 2028, whew, you're locked. That's tough. I want, I want to go in a different direction here. We've talked about the players a lot, Scott, there's people around the national hockey league that have these niche jobs that people may not know about that. They're so important to the game. Yeah. And, and I think of people like, I think a partner in Nashville, partner's a, a longtime locker room assistant who's been there forever and beloved by everybody in the sport. And, and people like him that you may not hear a lot about, except for a cool story that you may write occasionally. And somebody that I think that you will be talking about soon is Dan Craig. And Dan Craig was the ice meister for the NHL for the better part of the last 25 years. Started p- making ice when he was 16 years old for arenas. And and this is a guy who absolutely loved his job. It was his passion. And his calling card is going to be the winter classics, putting on these big shows, creating ice in situations that was very challenging. But I've walked into the Arizona arena in 110 degree heat, and we had decent ice. And I think a lot of that has to do with Dan Craig and what he did throughout the league to create the knowledge base of making good ice. Scott, this is a guy who made the game better. Yeah, he, I, I couldn't agree more. I was so pleased that you mentioned this because I did talk to Dan Craig yesterday, and he and, he and I have known each other a long time, and we've we've crossed I, probably the first time. Well, I've crossed paths with him during playoffs because you know he got hired by the NHL out of that, where for years they they were credited with having the the best ice. Oh yeah. Without any doubt around the players were so amped to go to Edmonton because the ice was glass. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't like playing in Florida in, in, you know, in March, but yeah. Well, and Dan got hired by the NHL to, to basically be quality control for the, the ice around the NHL. And then added to his portfolio was quality ice around the world. They did, uh, he did premier games and he was telling a great story about the, um, premier games in 07 in London at the O2 arena, which I happened to be at uh, a couple games in, um, in Japan, uh, three Olympic games. And, you know, but you're right. The winter classic doing the ice at that, that first winter classic, but he did the first outdoor game in Edmonton, which was more an Edmonton production. And then of course the winter classic uh, that would became really a hallmark of the NHL. And, and really, I think changed the league's profile in many ways, especially in the United States and, you know, putting that game on and without, and then, you know, the evolution of it where the NHL ended up buying millions of dollars worth of portable ice making equipment because said, we can, you know, if we're going to do this and it was clear they wanted to, then we got to do it right. And that's, and it's Dan Craig, but it was funny when talking to him and to your point, that it's, it's not, yes, he's been on the, the greatest stages of the, the hockey world, but to have, to know that there's good ice or people in Arizona or Nashville or other pe- places that learned the craft of making the ice and, and putting that on, that's, uh, that's a legacy for him too. And it's, so he's retired. This is the whole point of talking about him. But the great thing about it, his son has Hold, taken well, over well, the race. Let me go one second here. In his words, he's not retired 
Have you heard, have you seen what he's using to describe this, Scott? What the I, word I, is? I can't remember what the word. He didn't use it with me, maybe, but he's graduating. Oh, he's graduating. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can also tell you, I can confirm that shortly you know, he lives outside of St. Paul, Minnesota. Shortly, there will be a backyard rink going in in his community. The kids apparently in the neighborhood have already been asking him about it. So it's good stuff. So I'm glad you and thank you for bringing it up. That was a good that's a good call by you. Uh, Listen, before we get to Ryan Miller and our conversation with one of the great goaltenders of this or any generation, I want to remind you that DoorDash is a proud sponsor of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Restaurants and more delivered right to your door. And I, you sent me a note. I always like to get the DoorDash updates from you. Yes, this week we had double sautéed pork. <laughs> it was delicious. Uh, we had had my mother-in-law in town for the past week. So DoorDash became our best friend for an evening. And once again, we went to our favorite China one just down the road. And the DoorDasher was here in less than 30 minutes. Had a lovely evening, and my kids drove my mother-in-law crazy. It's a great night, Scott. Good stuff. All right. Let's get on with chat. our chat with Ryan Miller. Ryan, when I reached out to you to come on and talk with us, I was kind of thinking about it. It's unbelievable that we've never talked face-to-face before. As long as the <laughs> careers went, and I, I got stuck in the American League while you were doing your thing. Uh, but I always wanted to tell you this, that I, I actually looked up to you in a lot of ways because – Coming from St. Louis, I was born in 83, you're an 80 birth year. I got to see you play for the Sault Ste. Marie Indians in the North American Hockey League. And I remember just thinking like, man, this guy's really good. He's got six style. You were wearing those Vaughn pads with the iceberg graphic back then. And then last season, you finished your career in that same setup by Vaughn once again. And I just thought, man, it's unbelievable to think how this world has worked in parallels. Uh, Congrats on your career. Thanks yeah, so much thank for you. joining us, man. I, I, I'm so enthused to do so. What's been new for you since you finished up your career last season with Anaheim? Uh, it's, it, it was funny you mentioned the pads. It was very intentional to end my career the way it started. Uh, I just wanted to go back to something familiar and and uh, show the kids I still had some style. Um, but uh, no, not much been, has been new, man. Just... Uh, trying to spend more time with the family, take the kid to school every day, spend time. Um, you know, I, I do have a few other things I'm trying to get on the go because I think uh, like any competitive person, uh, you can't be idle for too long. <laughs> so I'm trying to find some stuff that I can, you know, put in the mix where I feel like I'm, uh, I'm working towards something. <laughs> has it, I'm curious, Ryan, has it been different than you thought? I mean, you, you knew this day was, you know, was going to come. You finish up 391 wins, 14th all time. I've done a little research here this morning. 796 <laughs> NHL games. Just it, it's, it's, it's an outstanding body of work. But when you stop that routine, it, it, has it been different than you thought? Or have you enjoyed it more than you thought? I, I'm curious to see what it's been like for you. Well, I definitely think at this time in the world, like, you know, things were so um, different in the last year and a half, two years of the pandemic. Uh, I think my wife and I, we had, you know, we've had some things pop up like our, our 10 year wedding anniversary, like, you know, I turned 40, uh, you know, 
ended my career. Like all these things where we kind of, we had talked in years past, like, Hey, when these things happen, we are going to mark them and do something, uh, either a trip or plan something with other people. And we've not done one thing. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's, it's a little, uh, anticlimactic in that sense, but you know, as far as being around family and stuff, it's been about as, as I expected and, and it's, it's been needed. Um, you know, I, I think that anytime you talk to a hockey player and how much you, time you spend, you know, focused on hockey, I think looking back on it and even just thinking about getting into the routine, I know I made a good decision because I'm just thinking about just driving to practice right now. And I'm just like, no, I can't do it. Uh, it's just, that's how much time you just have spent locked into something. So I think my, my wife, Noreen would probably say, you know, I need to work out more because I have so much of that, that energy pent up and it starts to get, you know, a little dark, <laughs> but, uh, I think I'm doing all right. I've been trying to, uh, you know, just make sure, you know, the family's taken care of things are done around the house and I'm paying attention to hockey because I do have a, at least a part-time gig until the, the winters I'm coaching with the Olympic team. So, um, I'm paying attention to all the games I can watching some video. Uh, I'm trying to get to some in-person games now that the season's kind of has more of a flow to it. I can really get a look at a guy in that. And, and, and when the camera comes off him, you know, I want to be watching to see how, you know, where his shoulders are at, where his head's at, like just watching the body posture. And like, so I'm starting to get into that mode. So that's, it's been fun. I can really empathize with you here. Cause I'm, I'm thinking about when I finished just, I had to fill space and time and I haven't been working out enough. I know that I skated yeah. the other day with the blues in practice and just went, Oh God, like I'm so sore. I don't know if I could did do you, this. It's been a year and a half. You threw the pads on? I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, I missed it, you know? Um, and, and Scott, you rattled off some of Ryan's accomplishments and there's one there that I think is the coolest thing is that you're the winningest American goaltender in NHL history. That's an yeah. unbelievable accomplishment. And I, I'm the winningest American league goaltender. Like you don't yeah. get many oh, awards for great, that, but uh, so that's a great accomplishment too. You know, that's, that's something where you won some hockey games. So that's yeah. always fun, right? It is. And, and <laughs> I, I look at your career though, and, and we'll get more into the USA hockey stuff in a little bit here. And, but you know, I played with your brother drew in Portland years ago in the American league. And I can remember asking him, this was 2007 or so. And I thought, man, your brother, and then speaking of you, of course, right. And I thought, he crushed it at Michigan State. He won a Hobie Baker. His numbers were ridiculous. And then spent the better part of three seasons in the American League and crushed it in the yeah. American League. And, and, you know, the one year was the lockout year in 2004 5. So that was a little different. Yeah. But I remember asking him, like, did Ryan ever get frustrated with the process that Buffalo wasn't giving him the chance early enough, even though he probably deserved it? And, and I'd like to pose that same question to you. Do you think that at that time you're able to look at it with a really clear lens building towards something? Yeah. I mean, that's how I took it. I mean, I, I think anyone who's young, you know, they always look at the timelines for things and they get really frustrated when things don't happen sooner than later. Uh, I think as you get a little bit older, you have a respect for the process and how timelines can be a little bit longer and it's not the end of the world. Uh, there's actually a benefit to it. I think that, there are a lot of examples in the national hockey league, you know, now where they, there should be more of a process. You know, there's a lot of learning going on in the NHL these days because of the salary cap situation. Uh, but, you know, Buffalo had its own restrictions. It was, you know, when I came to Buffalo, they were a team that was transitioning ownership because of uh, illegal activity. You know, the, <laughs> the, uh, 
the family that owned the Sabres uh, were caught up in a huge scandal. You know, I think that there was a lot of, I can't remember the exact details, but there was a fair amount of jail time handed out. <laughs> and so we were pretty much operated by the league and the money was, you know, being doled out by the NHL, like literally, like I remember getting one of my signing bonus checks as a handwritten check. I thought I was getting sent down in my, one of my short stints and Darcy Regeer called me into his office and, and it was like, and they had missed the signing bonus date by like weeks. And I had gotten called up during that time. And my, I, I don't even remember like my agent and I had talked about Mike Lee, who's my agent. I, I just remember talking to him and he was like, you know, they're having a lot of issues. So we're probably not gonna make a big deal of this, but you are owed a signing bonus. Uh, if you happen to see Darcy, you know, <laughs> Why don't you bring it up? But he, he actually just called me in his office I, and it was during a stretch. I thought I was going to send down for sure. And he called me and handed me an envelope with a check <laughs> handwritten. I was just like, what am I going to do with this? But it was because, uh, you know, in that time, that was, was what was going on. But, you know, Darcy also had a plan because, you know, based a little bit on the salary uh, and money restraints, you know, he couldn't chase after certain, players and he had a deep belief of, of growing everything from the inside. Now it's almost a necessity for him. So I understood the message and it actually benefited our group. You know, our group that came up through Rochester and, and ended up uh, graduating to the NHL together after that lockout season, we were dialed in, we were ready and our egos were in the right place. We played for each other really. Uh, I, th I feel in a way I, I haven't seen since. And it was really special kind of feeling to have that bond with, you know, seven, eight guys. And um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was, uh, you know, put into a situation where I wasn't being respected. It was, a, it was still at a time. I feel like I didn't earn anything. I, I did, I did well in the, a different level of hockey. I, it wasn't like I was killing it in the NHL and then I was getting buried. You know, I hadn't made it yet. So my sole purpose was to make it like I, that's where the lockout year was actually beneficial. We were playing at the highest level of hockey available in the world at the time in the American league. And we were all very focused on making the next step. Yeah. Ryan, I, one of the, well, we, I was busy pumping your tires. I'm not sure if I mentioned, Oh yeah. Silver medal 2010 Olympics, which is a great segue to, yeah. to your new role with USA hockey and the team in 2022 in Beijing. But I, I'm going to ask you quickly about 2010 and you talk mm -hmm. about the bond you had with those guys that they came up with you through the AHL and into that, you know, the first really important season after the lockout went to an East final, um, is it some? Is that something similar with that 2010 Olympic team? You know, I mean, it's it's it's, a, it's legendary. I'll, I'll admit my own bias. I, I was there for the tournament, covered it all. I've I've never had a more electric moment than during that gold medal game. I you know I think about it as I'll never I'll never be part of an event like that again and a game like that again. And I wonder if if there is some carryover, you know, for for you in that group from 2010, if you cross paths with whether it's the coaching staff or players, is there something that carry, you know, stands the test of time with that team? Yeah. I mean, anytime you see the, the, the guys from that, uh, that team, it's, it's, uh, 
it's a smile on the face. It's a, it's a hug with the handshake and, um, it's good to catch up. Uh, it was a lot of similarities in that, that team with the Buffalo team. It's like a little bit unexpected. Yeah. Um, a group that came together quickly and had a good positive attitude and, and it wasn't about anything other than, you know, coming together as a group and, and trying to accomplish something, you know, there was no hangups. It was just, we have a job to do and we've, we have, we, you know, we have a chance to prove ourselves and the young hungry group mixed with a good group of veterans. And, um, yeah, I it was a great experience. You know, it is bittersweet. And I've said this numerous times is that I, I'm immensely proud of what we did, but it's also hard. Uh, you, you're a shot away or in, into overtime, you're very close and, um, you know, you, you don't get, rewarded for that it's 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 really tough i know that the guys all kind of feel the same way i you know, got to spend a lot more time with david backus and uh you know not that i haven't talked to other guys about this but you know we spent a lot of time together in anaheim and and during the pandemic it was a lot of hotel room time where we're just sitting around in the uh the common areas and um you know one thing you know some other players brought it up they asked about it like you know that was an awesome experience. You know, like, what do you guys remember? And we were just kind of going over it and like, Oh yeah, you got the medal. Like what'd you guys do with it? And I, we both were like, at certain points, both of us were like, well, it's in our sock drawer, you know, because it's like, <laughs> you're, you're super proud of the accomplishment. Like the Jersey's hanging in my hallway and, you know, but it's like the medal is like, you know, I'm not, I got in a, I have a safe now where, you know, things are kind of there, but like, uh, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's a great accomplishment. I, I love all the guys. It's just really hard to uh, accept that we came that close and, and it wasn't uh, a victory. So it's bittersweet. Yeah. So, I don't want to trot on you, Mike, but it, it's all natural follow-up for me then. What, when, when you get the opportunity to help with the coaching staff led by Mike Sullivan, John Hines is on it, Todd Reardon, what do you think your experience in Vancouver and all that entailed, how do you think that w- will be brought to bear with your role in putting together this team in 2022? And I, I get, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm biased. I, I can't wait for this tournament. I mean, so many young players who haven't had this opportunity before and, you know, Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews go down the list. What's that going to be like for you? And, and how much will you draw on Vancouver if at all in, in doing that job? Well, I'm going to draw on all my experiences for sure. I think the thing that you know stood out for me is I, you know, having a chance to sit down with the the staff in August. We were trying to figure out how do we communicate messages. You know, what's going to be important to these players? And I thought that it's interesting. You know, thought I had that I wanted to share was like this group is not inexperienced. You know, we have a ton of players who have you know won under eighteen World Junior titles. Uh, but they have not had the, the pleasure of playing at the highest level of international competition, which we consider the Olympics. You know, the, the World Cup events, uh, we haven't had them, um, you know, as much. You know, the, the, you know, the last time we had anything for some of these young players, they were playing in the, in the North American, you know, team, the Young Stars kind of thing. And it was a quick tournament. It's a little bit you know, it's a great event for hockey, but compared to the Olympics, it's just a different animal, I think. And 
for these kids to, you know, not kids anymore, young men to have a chance to compete at the highest level. Now it's, uh, it's, it's different. I, I, we're, I don't think we, uh, you know, we should go in feeling like we're, uh, you know, um, anything other than a, than a, than a leader in, in the international stage for USA hockey. And it's a great opportunity for this group to prove something. It was kind of my idea. Um, Cause when you think about it, you know, they, they've done everything. <laughs> like so a lot of these kids have won everything except they have not had the chance to do this. So it's really about embracing the opportunity uh, on the biggest stage and doing something different. I, I firm believer that hockey is uh you know, a game that's meant to be played as a challenge cup kind of format. You can play a season, you can play for the Stanley cup. It's the greatest challenge you can have in hockey, but I love that you mix in other tournaments. It's really with, you know, the tradition of hockey is you have ch- those challenge opportunities. You play tournaments, you have uh, different kind of uh, qualifiers for tournaments. Uh, I, I just think it's great. So this is a great opportunity for them. I look at what you described previously of how, now you're watching the game, you know, you're not playing it. You're, you're having to analyze and you spoke very specifically about how you watch goaltenders. And mm-hmm. I, I've kind of got a two part to this, but one of them is now how you watch the game differently. Like for me, becoming an analyst, I had to stop watching just the goalie and watch everything and try yeah. to take it in. Um, but I also, aside from the USA hockey role, aside from taking a look at everything that's happening, you played goaltender. We both did during an era where everything changed from a technical standpoint. I mean, everything. And I don't think people really understand what it took for you to have the success that you did starting your career in 2002 in the NHL clear through 2021. If you can just distill down what it took to keep your game current, to be able to have success in the NHL, some of those technical details were just so different. I mean, how did you find the mental capacity and the desire and the drive to continue to evolve as you got older? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, I think that goaltending has changed so much in the last, uh, you know, you know, couple of years, let alone the last 20 years. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, emphasis put on challenging the shooter, taking angles away. Uh, your defense would kind of, you know, fall in around you, uh, and, you know, you weren't being asked to take up the backside of the play or if the play was below the net, if, you know, the guys weren't thinking about hanging around certain areas, you know, it, it, you know, the penalties were a little bit different, but, you know, uh, referee awareness, uh, players adapting to certain things. But as we came out of that lockout, like we talked about earlier, the emphasis was put on speed. And I think the speed was all kind of downhill through the neutral zone and, and, you know, the hooking was getting called a lot. So there's a lot of guys, you know, you know, it wasn't always two on ones, but you're getting a lot of three on twos, uh, you know, but we saw the evolution of how, you know, teams started figuring out three on twos, you know, they're the defense are, you know, you know, gapping over on those two guys on the one side, they're, they're doing a squeeze play, you know, you know, it's something that's really common now. So it ends up being like three on twos aren't as dangerous anymore. So what can we do next? It's just interesting watching the evolution of offense, but yeah, being responsible for the backside, uh, the way the power plays have changed, you're having to, you know, play your post a little bit differently. I think the post work is the biggest thing for goaltender. Mm-hmm. Your reverse VH is when you're leaning yeah. in with one knee down. And we, you know, when I was 
younger, it was, you kept your, your knee closest to the post was up and you bent your knee inward and you're creating a wall towards the one side, but you have your, uh, you have your, uh, your leading knee. And it's just amazing to see how somebody figured out, well, that creates a lot of, you know, overextending yourself, you're off balance a lot. You can't rotate off that very well to the backside. Uh, so we were trying to figure that out. I remember working with Jonas Enroth, who was in Sweden, where they, I feel like they really were way ahead of things as far as post play over there. And they were trying to integrate that to all their players. And I started noticing he was doing this thing at the end of practice. And he was explaining they were trying to put it into practice in, in uh, his training over there. And you saw a lot of Swedish Finnish goalies starting to play on their, on their knees more. I think quick Jonathan quick just kind of naturally did it. It was something that uh, it was part of his game. You know, he, he's so explosive and he wanted to be low and spread out to the ice. He ended up in that position a lot. But then I think you saw a lot of the European goaltenders doing that. And I, I was picking up on it and we made a point of working on it in practice, trying to integrate that reverse and when to use it and, I just remember getting burned so many times because you'd enter it. And then, you know, guys had a, you know, they're, you know, you're thinking, Oh, I got this covered off and you have to learn kind of as you go, you know, where is the smart time to use it and when it's not to use yeah. it. Uh, so it, it was, it was fun to figure out, but I guess, uh, you know, that's what, one example. There's probably many more uh, yeah. where it was, that was how you would do it and just find areas of the game and what's happening on night to night basis. Like what's in, you know happening that's uh, it's becoming more of a, a consistent pattern and, and looking for those things. Yeah. So that's great stuff. Uh, I, we I, could I go remember. forever with this Scott. I mean, no, goalie nerd, we got a whole nother podcast to do with the goalie nerd stuff. I love it when goalies get together and they lapse into that, that they have that, that, you know, there's, it's, it's, an, it's a goalie thing. Huh? I, yeah, I it's a it. different world. I mean, everything Ryan said, I went through the same thing. I saw Sergei Bobrovsky do it in 2013 and I went, Oh my God, my career's over. If I can't do this, <laughs> like th- this is real. Like, and that was the, the course, you know, and there's, there's all these moments, Scott, where you, you want yeah, those guys to ruin it. For, those guys ruined it for us really though, because they proved that yeah. you could cover the backside. <laughs> you exactly. know, it used to be like, Oh, you know, that guy just tapped it in the back door. Yeah, nothing you could do, and I'd bud tap you on the pads. Yeah, <laughs> now you're and responsible now it's for like, everything. <laughs> wait, that guy's that guy's catching up to a lot more of those than than is normal. Well, now it's normal. So, yeah. yeah, you do have to pay attention to the league around you. That's where being a fan of the game has always been, you know, beneficial to uh, a player. You know, you have to enjoy hockey. You have to watch it. You have to absorb it. And I think that's why I was able to, you know move with the times I like to watch hockey and that's part of like what I would do. I would watch every single game I could. So I wanted to know the tendencies of the guys. We didn't have the video we have now. I had to just pay attention in real time. Like I wanted to watch hockey games, see what guys are doing, what moves they made on breakaways, what the power play looked like. We didn't have the database. <laughs> the guys have database. Now you just pull it up and it's like, you know, Oh, you need to see, you know, 50 power plays that are run by uh you know, Nathan McKinnon, here you go. You're probably going to get a bomb going blocker high, or you're going to get a step inside, you know, missile. But 
at least you can see it and know what's going on before it was almost like you just heard the whispers of, you know, guys around the league. This guy's got a bomb, you know, watch out on the wing. That's about it. Now you've got an iPad on the bench you can go to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, things are moving fast now, yeah. technology and the awareness, you know, things are moving fast. It's fun to see, you know, where the game can go. All right. Uh, we're going to let you go, but I will ask one final question. I, this experience with USA hockey and, it strikes me as sort of tipping, dipping your toe into something. But I mean, your peers, I think of Chris Drury as new GM in New York with the Rangers, of course, mm-hmm. and Danny Briere, I, he and I chat periodically and his, you know, he's, he's done a bunch of different things on the executive side. Is that, do you have a sense yet? Is that something that appeals to you, whether it's, you know, something like that or more on the hockey ops coaching side, do you have a sense of it yet? Um, yeah, this is definitely a toe dip. Um, I feel like I have, you know, the competitive spirit inside me. So I want to be in a position to have an influence on, on, on winning. So I I don't know. I'll see where that goes, but I I think I do have a, a feel that, you know, you know, being more of an executive management kind of vibe would be a lot of fun for me. I like the idea of building because I feel like I had to build my career. There's other things I did in my career that I feel like, uh, you know, I went outside and I, I, you know, approached the physical side, the mental side, the hockey side, you know, the life balance side, you know, I tried to touch on all these things. I feel like I just have a lot of uh, time spent thinking about things that would be important to building a team. And I'd like to get, kind of get them all out, (laughs) you know, have a, you know, to use them. I don't want to have all this information kind of just stored up and, you know, I want to use the information. I want to stay competitive. And, um, I definitely look at like Chris Drury and Danny and, uh, you know, even Roberto Luongo and, and, and guys who are, you know, a little bit older and, and had, you know, had, had a great experience in the NHL are able to redirect their, uh, hockey knowledge. And I love the fact that, you know, goaltending is getting a lot more, respect and that you know there there are goaltending departments now where the focus is on development because you know in my my very quick journalism i look back over just my lifetime uh, and a majority of the stanley cups are won by goalies you know in-house guys who start their career you know with a team and i just think so much emphasis has been put on just trying to find the goalie you know and it gets you know kind of underappreciated that a vast majority of the cups are won by guys who have built the trust with the organization, formed a bond with their team and are able to go out there with a different kind of energy. I feel like somehow, and uh, you know, that's how they were able to do it. So I like the direction that's going and, you know, if that's something I can help with or, or get into more of a, a, a team standpoint, you know, we're going to, I'm going to do the work I need to do the next couple of years and also enjoy some family time and, uh, go from there. I think that's a big reason why I wanted to have you on because again, I started this off by saying I looked up to you and I still do in a lot of ways because I knew all along hearing, like you said, the whispers, but throughout hockey, how you approached everything was such, you know, like a well-rounded mindset. It wasn't just goaltending. And I know that that's what carried your career for so long and with so much success and um, inspired me and other, other goaltenders. And I tell you what, I, I think that USA Hockey's done a smart thing to bring you in because you do have a ton to offer. And aside from being the winningest American goaltender of all time, hopefully as a fellow American, we can bring home some hardware here 
uh, and you're a big part of that. So on behalf of Scott and myself, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, this was really enlightening, and I know uh, we could have gone on for hours talking goaltenders. So thanks for keeping it concise on my selfish questions. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I'll let, let me know if you want to do it again. We can sort out all the, the world's problems. <laughs> all right. Thanks very much, Ryan. It's great to catch up. Mike, all kinds of credit to you for lining up Ryan Miller. And you like it's we could literally have talked for hours to Ryan. Hours. So thanks for doing that. That was that was great. Oh man, I, I that was a selfish play on my part because we never spoken face to even through Zoom, never face to face. We we you know we tap pads at the red line. We've exchanged emails over the year, mostly relating to equipment rules and changes and and things that we were ruining throughout the National Hockey League and how we were going to somehow find ways to skirt those rules or maybe just find gray areas, but what a great conversation. And Scott, you can really see that Ryan Miller is somebody that if he chooses could without question, be very successful in management and hockey. No question. No question at all. That was good. Good work by you all around my friend. Um, how about we do this next week? I can't wait. I like how that sounds. Yeah. I'll make sure I get a DoorDash ordered in the next week and off we go. <laughs> all right. Sounds great. Good job, my friend. You too. Thanks for listening to The Suitcase and The Scribe, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.